Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, this is a recap of this week. Uh, finished the PySpark course. Really good. Enjoyed that. And uh, did notice that there was one uh, uh, PySpark job that was out of uh, Lehigh. And uh, looked like that they... Uh, we're doing lots of big data analytics and uh, using PySpark. And PySpark is really great in terms of um, setting up your pipeline. It had some really nice features. And uh, I just wish, you know, that PySpark could be applied to... Um, not just uh, uh, a, a hive, but uh, you could use PySpark anywhere. And I've actually been thinking about using the PySpark pipeline just because it's so easy to use, you know. And uh, they, they, they uh, set up the categorical encoders and the text encoders in such a way that it makes a lot of sense on how to do it. So I'm going to try some PySpark pipelines and see if I like it. And if I do, um, that'll probably be what I start to move more of my analysis to is PySpark. Because I've kind of been thinking that that might be the future architecture of machine learning. And, uh, and just because it has the scalability... It has the scalability in terms of your data sources, but it also has that nice pipeline uh, that, that allows you to do your analytics. Well, and uh, that, that brings me to the next point is, you know, how do you find work uh, in an era where there's high inflation, lots of uh, competition, you know, companies that are... Uh, not necessarily hiring right now IT um, and you have to you have to innovate and that's the only solution if you're looking to main, find maintenance programming they're you know just they're slowing down on the new projects and and they're holding with what they have <clears throat> and that that's kind of a very stagnant stale environment and uh, so, the, what what a lot of what a lot of thing companies are doing now is that they're looking for uh, services that provide you know sections of functionality, and they can uh, utilize an online service that allows them to uh, to utilize the power of cloud and. And uh, non-structured database and web APIs, and so um, you could move data from your from a localized area into these service nodes, uh, and they provide a, cer a certain degree of functionality and usability for uh, different companies. And so the, the, that's why they've gained a niche is because of the degree of functionality that they can provide.
and uh, so that that creates for a very powerful um, capability in terms of uh, you know get, getting functionality for corporations to be able to use but the the question then becomes well you know that's just an integration issue you're taking data from one source and moving it to another and then utilizing the the functionality of that company's innovation and i would say the second thing that that can be done is innovation within the company through usage of Power BI, Python, and uh, and different uh, machine learning libraries, and utilizing Seaborn to do your visualization, and then um, incorporating those visualizations into spreadsheets. I saw. There's, and I haven't tried this yet, but it looked uh, very promising, where they had uh, a um, machine learning, Seaborn, uh, Python, Jupyter Notes uh, graph, and they were able to bring that into a spreadsheet. And uh, so, that, so those are some of the kind of things now that we could start seeing some bridges because Jupyter Notes has been kind of like a very powerful way to utilize the Python libraries in a uh, browser environment but uh, you have you have uh, Power BI and you have Microsoft Excel that's become very powerful and still runs a large sections of business functionality and so now you can bring these, uh, you can bring these powerful data analytic and visualization tools into the business environment in one in one location, and that that is very appealing to uh, to the business. And so I like that that approach. And I've been using different uh, components that Microsoft's been providing in their uh, Power BI uh, store. And it's, it's interesting because uh, some of the, one of the components that I was looking at had a neural net on it and it did some forecasting. And, uh, and, uh, and I would be curious to find out if the forecast actually happened, but you know, it was like a two to three month forecast that was predicting based on uh, what it had learned in its historical data. And uh, you had to, you had to load uh, Java and, and R onto your, your BI server, but uh, Power BI server. But once you had that there, then you could do some forecasting. And uh, I I uh, looked at that and I thought about it, you know, and it, it's it's uh, still kind of interesting. But the area where I think that you can get a lot of value uh, is through using pivot tables. I really like this aggregation and segmentation and uh, using these pivot tables to 
kind of get an idea uh, overall of what the system is doing. And I, I utilized that the other day and started seeing some value in, in combining a pivot table with a heat map. Uh, you know, so heat maps are really great because we use them in confusion matrix and, uh, and uh, we, we can use heat maps in, uh, for feature detections to see, you know, which features contribute. So we've used heat maps quite often in machine learning to understand the complexity of our model. And so it, it makes perfect sense to uh, apply heat maps to hierarchical data. And so, as I was thinking about, uh, you know, some utilization of, of usefulness of using heat maps, uh, that, that's where I, I was able to apply that. And so that, 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 uh, um, that was pretty in, uh, inspiring to see the results of that because I could see, uh, I could see almost some trend going on and I did plot out a couple of uh, trend lines to see, you know, what were my trends, uh, and then I then I uh, applied a heat map in another plot, and uh, you know, scaled it so I could see it, <clears throat> and uh, and it was really quite interesting to see the uh, behavior of the system. I could definitely see by the colors there were certain emphasis and certain behaviors that occurred in certain time frames. And uh, so that's what I did also is I took uh, my dates and I, and I segmented them into uh, month, year. And so then I could, I could see what my activity was on a monthly basis and that kind of changed things. And I could start seeing, you know, what was my activity in a time series. Uh, and, and then, and then uh, you know, once you have that time series, uh, you can definitely make predictions uh, in terms of trends by using a regressor or a uh, XGBoost regressor um, or an OLS. And I really like the OLS because it, it takes all you, once you find your features, you can use uh, second order uh, on the feature and see, you know, how, how it, it, uh, the features affect uh, affect the uh, curve, curved line, and so then you could you can ask questions like uh, you know what's the difference between uh, a subcompact efficiency versus a large uh, truck efficiency based on its mass and number of cylinders, and and uh, and you can see then uh, in terms of maybe in terms of efficiency or, or, you know, in the case of white, where we're looking at body mass index, you could see that, um, some, maybe some cause and effect or some stratification that occurs in the features. And so then you could, you could say maybe one feature is more significant than another. And the, and when you're talking about consumers, features are very important. You know, uh, and so in the terms of product differentiation, when we when we look at you know different consumer products, it's a um, a function of features, and and maybe you could say, well, brand is comfortable, yes, but why are consumers buying 
and it's based on features. I look at the Hyundai's uh, acquisition of Boston Robotics. I think it was brilliant because now they're going to take some of this automation that's in the robotics world and that's going to become part of the car. I, I really like the Santa because it has a lot of uh, features for driver assist like a lane uh, departure but it also lets you know in your mirrors if there's a car in your blind side it warns you uh, if you're when you're preparing to turn and there's a car uh, to the right of you or to the left of you you can see in the mirror that there's uh, uh, that there's uh, you know that there it, it blinks a yellow color so that you know that there's someone there very helpful in city driving <clears throat> Um, another one that it has is uh, if you're approaching a car and you don't slow down quick enough, it'll automatically start to slow down. It'll keep a, a certain gap between you and the car in front of you and to prevent, uh, uh, to prevent accidents. And uh, it also has, uh, if it's watching the, the uh, lines on the road, if you depart, uh, left or right of a line, then it also uh, will will warn you that you're departing out of the line. Like if you were driving on this off, you got sleepy and started to to drift. But it doesn't do any of the self-driving features that we uh, hear about with Tesla. And so, um, you know, it's. Uh, it has, you know, new features like the cruise is more adaptive because you can uh, set a certain speed and then, you know, if there's cars in front of you, it slows down. But once the cars move out of your lane, then it speeds back up to the speed that you want, desired uh, traveling speeds. And uh, so there is some uh, better intelligence to the system than just the regular uh, cruise control. But uh, you know, with uh, with with more features, uh, you know, maybe what people want is self-parking. So you press a button, and it'll do parallel parking for you. Uh, so that that would be a question, you know, is like if you could study the data on why people bought certain cars for their particular features and if they're what their ratings on those importance of those features were then from that you could uh you could then build an ols for making the predictions um on on maybe the percentage likelihood of them buying the car so that sounds almost like a classification problem versus a trend problem um uh, so a trend problem would be more like, you know, if you're trying to predict uh, if you'll get a higher salary uh, for a certain degree of education. So here you might say, can a competitive features, if I had a certain number of features, would I get a higher um, a higher price for my vehicle? In other words, if you add self-parking, will that justify at, uh, adding additional 
$8,000 for the price of the vehicle. Well, so we go back to the original question, how do I get a job in an uh, environment where there's no jobs? And you have to, it's still the same problem when you're, uh, you're brand new out of college and you're looking for work. Uh, you know, you're not at that position right now because you've had several years of work and, and maybe due to downsizing, uh, due to COVID, you know, you're, you're looking for work. But you're still faced with the same dilemma as you did when you were looking for work when you came out of college. And that is that you must be able to show the company uh, things that you can bring that would be of value. So now, if you know, there's some really basic things that you bring right off, which is data extraction, uh, the knowledge of, of SQL, structured query language, and the ability to transform that data into uh, pre-processing data that can be used by machine learn learning pipelines. And so, uh, you know, the ability to, to write SQL is very important. The second thing that you uh, have is the ability to create visualizations, the utilization of various uh, seaborne graphs. Uh, one I was working with a lot was uh, Bar H yesterday with the uh, group, uh, on a group by with a plot. And, uh, you know, I was passing my uh, AX created from my subplot, from my figure size. And, uh, and so that was able to then control the size of my grid uh, or my, my uh, chart. And then I also combined uh, X ticks rotation equal 90. So my, uh, well, in this case, I didn't have to because I wasn't changing my uh, x-axis labels that I could have done using the x-ticks. So you need to, you know, be able to read your documentation. So that's another thing that you want to be able to say is that you're capable of learning new technologies and also uh, being able to read documentation and utilize some of these APIs and being aware of what the APIs do. You know, you've got uh, density and You've got density plots. You've got KD density. That's a great, great plot. You have uh, you you might want to refresh yourself on how to do plots where you're combining multiple things like a, a histogram with a density with a, uh, maybe you're you're uh, going to combine that with some uh, uh, trending. And so these are all important things for you to be able to do. Uh, I, I like the count plot just to, to get some uh, raw numbers like value counts. I like the, uh, I like the uh, uh, histograms. I was actually build a couple of histograms and set up some bins. And I like the regular uh, line charts and, you know, unstack it so you can see, uh, see what the groupings are, are doing. And, uh, and then, you know, you can, but work with hierarchical data and master that because then once you get a hierarchical data, you can 
see how things are stratifying and the behavior between the different categories and that and that's powerful uh, because that kind of like tells you how things are performing so there's a lot of knowledge that can be transferred through visualization and uh, you know you'll have to find the, the visualization that the companies want for their uh, for their their uh, business people and for the people who are actually doing work But uh, Power BI is really great because you have all these filters you can use. You can use criterion filters and slicers. And uh, so you get your data set up in your warehouse and then uh, bring your data in. And you can set the relationships uh, between your dimensions and your fact table in Power BI or just bring in your fact table and... Uh, and just use a single table, and and uh, and then use uh, your criterion off of, of a single table. I like to do that because I don't like to have to mess around too much with uh, connecting tables, dimensions, and I just bring in the I just bring in a, a fact table that's uh, semi-denormalized. I, I include the the fields that I. Once I don't have to create uh, relational joins. That works for me. I like to do it that way with a single table. That way I can I can analyze in a, a single page to a single table, and I and I can then when I'm doing maintenance on it, I can see which table was affected. Um, and those are some of the strategies you, you can use to, to, to get your data in a form that you can get answers and your answers are displaying quickly. And I, I really like the fact that Power BI has, you can have so many data so sources that are pulling your data in and, uh, and then you can do those visualizations. I personally think what you should do is have only one data source, which would be your SQL Server, and then use uh, PowerShell to do all your ETL work. I really like PowerShell for doing that. Uh, let me just tell you some good features about PowerShell. You have a array list. Array lists are fantastic. It allows you to mix uh, uh, various object types because it derives from the object uh, class. And, uh, and then when you're building your JSON string for uh, you know, a uh, post parameter, then uh, what you could do is use, uh, you can build a dictionary using the at sign, and then you create your dictionary with your key value pairs, and then where you have a key value where the value is a list, use the array list and you can then put in uh, different uh, in some cases if, if it's uh, uh, if it's uh, a, uh, uh, various data types where you have fields that are on or off you can use two different classes 
And then Power BI ha or PowerShell, which is a Microsoft product, um, it also ha comes with the ability to set up a debug. So you can put a breakpoint and you can debug your script. Now it is a script, not a compiled language. And I really wish in some ways that Microsoft had invested uh, into PowerShell to make it a compiled language because it could definitely become a replacement for C Sharp. It's that good. And you know, there's probably arguments. Well, what you know? What about generics? You know, and uh, and what about uh, what about object oriented? Well, you know, PowerShell can do object oriented. It has a little interface. It's kind of like a a VB when Visual Basic uh, first started. It has a, a simple interface, but it has a great inter architecture. Uh, by using uh, by using pipes, and so it is very friendly to data manipulation. And I also found that you know the syntax is very understandable. It's very similar to maybe a JavaScript in terms of its uh, syntax. So it's a lighter syntax, it's faster to code in. One of the things that I don't like is it doesn't have IntelliSense, so <clears throat> you're, you're constantly fighting that battle, looking up, you know, the, from the documentation what the parameters are. But, uh, you know, it's it's much simpler than C-sharp for passing data between uh, functions and, you know, the utilizing of uh, interfaces will probably come uh, is, as it becomes more popular. But I know I, I really like the PowerShell in terms of uh, what it's capable of doing. I, I can grab things from the operating system. I can make calls for RESTful APIs. Uh, I can make calls to the database. And those, that, you know, that's kind of those features that you really like when you're dealing with a scripting language. And I can put the scripting language in a batch process and I can monitor how it's performing. And, and when you look at the number of scripts that are PowerShell in a Microsoft operating system, it tells you that Microsoft is seriously invested into rapid application development. That uh, they, they, they do a lot of their functionality using PowerShell. And so PowerShell is, is going to become uh, more of a competitor to Python. You know, I used uh, Python Alchemy, and it was really good. I liked what it could do. I mean, it could analyze the metadata, and, and uh, it could uh, it could do transaction processing, and, and it worked really well for what I was doing. And it had a Lambda-like uh, functions for uh, <clears throat> dealing with uh, filtering, but. Uh, and everything was a, a, an object, and you could access then the uh, attributes of that object through the metadata. And I like that capability in Python. And I really would think that uh, in time, that uh, you know maybe that's what Flask is. I haven't really got into Flask, but maybe that's what uh, Flask is: is 
it's a it's a or ORE object relational modeling technology for dealing with your data. It's an object-oriented approach to, to uh, accessing data. And, uh, and so there's this whole uh, level of data integration that can be done in PowerShell eventually. And uh, so maybe Python has the lead right now uh, with the object-oriented, you know, with Flask and, and, uh, and uh, with ORE, ORMs. Um, but you know, do you really need an ORM to do your schema changes? Well, maybe you do. Maybe you do. Well, when I was working with PySpark, uh, you know, you could uh, you could preview your schema on your table, and you could also uh, define your schema in your data frame. So you could you could uh, pass a a schema into the data frame. Uh, read.csv and it could then utilize that for uh, its data types. Or you could do, do an infer uh, by doing a two-pass over the data to find out what the data types were that way. So these are, these are pretty powerful in that sense that uh, you know, that the object-oriented becomes aware of the data and data type. And that reduces the amount of work you have to do in converting uh, converting data into a specific type, like float, integer, string, categorical. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of, you know, they, they did say in the course that uh, a lot of your, your time will be spent... Uh, for pre-processing and then engineering the features uh, that will help improve the efficiency of your model. And then once you have your model created, then you can use cross-validation and analyze your intercept and your coefficients. And and those are that's kind of a challenging way because you have to know how to do the syntax. But eventually, I imagine that there's going to be some sort of visual tool that you can hook into that will allow you to uh, understand what those coefficients mean. And maybe it'll, maybe it'll interpret the coefficients in a natural language processing parser, so it'll decode into natural language processing, and then you'll have description in natural language process uh, in English sentences what, what's going on with your data model, and you can see Maybe it'll do comparisons too. Just not only decoding, but doing comparisons between the decoded uh, information. So if maybe it might say large cars are more fuel efficient for their mass than small cars. So, you know, maybe then, you know, you're like, well, I wonder why that's true. And you analyze the coefficients and then you're like, huh. Well, yeah, I can see in the coefficients that one is larger than the other. Didn't know that that was the relationship or the conclusion. So, you know, if it could draw some conclusions or uh, inferences from the data, that could be very powerful too, because that could then uh, it could then trigger some thoughts about you know uh, 
certain configurations that you might find acceptable for a certain mass of vehicle. And maybe you need that certain mass of vehicle because you're pulling something that weighs a lot of weight or you're carrying something that's very heavy and uh, it has to have that capacity to uh, perform that way. Well, it's kind of interesting too, is why do you need, why does an individual need a electric truck that's gonna weigh, you know, maybe six or 7,000 pounds more than its counterpart truck uh, for commuting? But we live in America, this is a free country, and so we buy you know, what we, we like and what, what appeals to us. And maybe we wanna have a monster truck like an electric, electric Tesla or electric GMC because uh, it's cool. And uh, you know, a lot of people like the Teslas because they're, you know, they come with all the cool uh, features and, and they're high tech and uh, <clears throat> they provide lots of utility. Well, um, so again, going back to why, what do we do in an environment where there's high inflation, high taxation is coming, uh, high regulation, and uh, low number of jobs? Well, you're going to have to compete for those low number of jobs, and you also... Uh, need to innovate and uh, you have to market yourself just like you did when you came out of college you have to show why company will need you and you have to think about what that company does and how you could see yourself in that company performing at a certain level and what that level entails and, and your approach and uh, uh, you know, there's always a blue ocean. I, I would say that even now is, you know, don't become discouraged. You know, say, oh, there's only one job. You don't need a thousand jobs. You just need one job. <laughs> so, you know, you got to just uh, throw that mentality out the door and uh, start working on how do you market your skill sets in a way that uh, companies can understand what you can bring to the table and why that that's significant. Because... At the end of the day, you need to know, understand how companies make money. I've um, said that before on some of the prior podcasts that it's not just about going to work and pulling a paycheck, but you have to go to work and understand how your kind of company makes money to pay for your paycheck. And then don't be afraid to help your company make money. But be careful because companies are competitive and employees are competitive. Everyone's fighting for recognition. Um, and if you don't believe that, then you just just watch because it's true. The, uh, there isn't this lovey-dovey environment that Agile seems to want to say. Agile is a way to bring requirements from the business to the developer without the developer having to talk with the business people too much. You have product owners, you have, uh, you have uh, uh, 
business owners, they have the end client, you know, and sometimes developers want to, you know, go close the cycle, do extreme programming, get in there close with the customer, find out what they really want because there's communication gaps. Well, you know, Agile sort of provides you a document, it provides you, uh, uh, you know, a product manager who will tell you what the business owner wants. And so, you know, from that standpoint and building those requirements and then getting that to the developer in the pipeline, it's a simpler flow. And so the, it, it, it is more agile from the business side because the business can be very change, changing their requirements all the time. And, uh, you know, does it create for a stable software? I don't think so. I don't. I, I've seen Agile work, and it's it's uh, it's scary. Sometimes they skip quality processes. Sometimes they uh, uh, they uh, are in a big hurry. You got real smart programmers that are bringing a lot of code together quick, and uh, you know. I guess if, if in some ways, if you've got a good quality assurance team that can offset the, the rapid change of the group, then yes, maybe that's, they can, Agile can keep up with the, the business requirements. Uh, but, uh, you know, you have to adjust to whatever environment you're going to work in and, and a lot of companies do like the agile work work pipeline so you have to be able to uh, fit inside the pipeline do the work and then you get you know you get evaluated on your performance uh, you know take on those hard stories take on those epics take on the you know the don't just take small stuff take you know big big stuff too and work through those that's what I do. I I don't I don't have agile. I I just take whatever assignment I'm given and I work on it. No matter how hard it is, I might be build a uh, a website. It might be able to build a mobile app. It might be able to be build a Flutter app. Maybe, maybe to do some machine learning to analyze the data. It might be uh, some uh, seaborne visualizations. Uh, you know, but. Uh, it, it might even be some razor pages. Uh, it depends on, you know, your philosophy. Are you going to go Angular? Uh, are you going to go MVC? Are you going to go with style sheets? You know, what level of sophistication do you want to go in terms of uh, building, building things? But do it all. That's what I've said in, uh, for, uh, for, uh, uh, the Internet of Things, or the uh, programming for devices, or you know, build things for all the world. That is the um, ideal condition and clause. And you know, be constantly building. You don't have time not to be building. And so, you'll be thinking about how to reorganize things so that what you're building is easier to use, more usable. Uh, you know, if you're working in C-sharp, build NuGets, uh, you know, get a, you know, learn GitHub, 
and then start building your functionality. It'll take you five years to get a breakthrough. No matter where you are, you'll be doing work, but in order to get any major contribution to the company that's of a significant nature, it'll take you five years. It just takes that long to build the infrastructure necessary to, to contribute. So in the fifth year, then you have the, the tools and the, and the techniques and the data in such a way that it can uh, make an impact on the company. And then find the right culture. <clears throat> company culture is very critical. If you're in a toxic work environment, get out of it. It's not worth it. Uh, and then work like crazy to get into a company where uh, you can thrive, where there's training, where there's uh, continuous learning, where there's a lot of uh, uh, energy. Energy is your energy is really critical because uh, it it uh, determines the, your output. It's not your IQ; it's your energy. Uh, because you know, I I know that that, that companies are constantly trying to assess your skill levels like your recall ability if you have uh, internet and so you can use that if you're aware to do the recall and uh, over time you'll you'll know what the steps are you can write out the steps in a you know system of work uh, work the system type of thing create documentation document your steps <clears throat> and then uh, and then build your infrastructure, and, and over time, that infrastructure is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to uh, contribute to the the effectiveness of your company because you can have you have more responsiveness. You'll be able to uh, understand your data better. You'll have better analytics. You'll uh, be able to build mobile applications quicker. You'll be able to adjust, and and uh, you become. Uh, you should be have your own podcast and talk about what you are learning, uh, you know, that and look and discuss the not the things that are related to your company, but discuss the technology that you and approaches that you're finding useful. You know, maybe you're finding that uh, MLP classifier works just as well as a Keras uh, Keras neural net with TensorFlow. Or maybe you you like the matrixy multiplication, and you have built your own tensors and sparse arrays to uh, uh, utilize sigmoid or RELU or softmax uh, to produce outputs. Or maybe you've even used some assembly where you you're. Uh, taking one network and piping the results into another and so you're creating cascades of networks or hierarchies of networks that are channels where one network feeds into another network and uh, you're working for consensus between the networks so architecture you know is the next level you have to be thinking architecture whether it's using visual tools to do your architecture or scripting languages Mentally, you have to understand what those uh, architectures and the approaches and goals that you're trying to achieve are. 
and then work through it, talk through it, and uh, you know, see the values where people are doing things. Look at where you know popular trends are going in the uh, machine learning AI and beyond that. You know, and uh, definitely don't try to uh, sit behind a tool and, and think that that. Uh, uh, because you can use Power BI that you know machine learning. That, that's just uh, ignorant. So, you know, continue to expand your knowledge base is what I'm saying. And, and, uh, and then figure out how to present that capability in a business manner in very concise and summarized statements that might be appealing to business. Why is, why is what you do important? And what is interesting about what you do? Answer those two questions right away at the top of your resume, uh, and you'll get interviews. And then when you're in those skill set interviews, uh, remember that it's that's how the recruiters do their filtering to decide who they're going to move forward and who they're not. And, uh, and then uh, you can practice for the exams. But see, if you're building your own projects and stuff as you go, uh, you're either gonna have the ability to sit down and script something out really quick, and, or you're not. And so if you don't have that ability to script things on the fly, then you know, you're gonna have a hard time in consulting and contracting because that's your, those recruiters are gonna be looking to see if you can do that. So practice is very critical. You have to do a lot of practice and over a large range of topics and approaches. And that's why, you know, get this, get your, uh, work your system uh, notes out, you know, practice those sequences, but not just practice sequentially, because that's stupid too. You need to understand what is happening mathematically and logically and conceptually. So that's where you need to, you know, you need to be talking about uh, machine learning and sharing because it's, if you think you can learn it in a year, you're kidding yourself. Uh, you know, I've looked at, I've looked at the, uh, a lot of the machine learning courses, gone through them and getting more familiar. And I'm always amazed when, I, even with uh, subject matter that I've had taken courses on, that the real foundation for understanding machine learning is statistics. So, you know, I know there's more statistic courses that uh, I have that I haven't uh, completed on DataCamp, and I want to go take all the statistic courses because every one that you take helps you understand more clearly uh, approaches for making decisions, even like uh, Bayesian networks where you're dealing with probabilities of an event and looking at probabilities of new events and how they contribute uh, is, is something that can be utilized because you now have kind of this learning network, this Bayesian network where it's kind of learning as new new observations are being brought in. Uh, it's learning and getting smarter and adapting 
and the, and that adaption is super uh, super important well my time's up and that's my advice for uh, getting a job in a uh, down in con- economy and uh, you know things are going to get tougher and so you know as inflation increases interest rates are going to go up and so companies that are going to have to perform more to bring value that people will want to part with their hard-earned money with.